Well, I don't know where you're at today, whether you are rethinking and reconsidering and resolutioning. Maybe that's one of the reasons you are here today, is because you are rethinking and reconsidering and you're trying to uh, explore some of this faith stuff or kickstart some of this faith stuff or give it a little bit more momentum for 2024. And if that's you, you're so incredibly welcome here and we're so glad that you've chosen to come and be part of us here today um, and and give us the privilege of helping you reconsider and rethink and resolution. Maybe you are trying to do things a bit differently at this time of year, or maybe for you it's like, what new year? It's like, this year already feels like I'm fully into it. New Year's Eve is a distant memory. Um, and uh, maybe for you, uh, you've, you've been posed with such a challenge this year, or you're facing such challenging circumstances that honestly it's resolutions are the last thing on your mind because you feel you've got very little control over how this year is going to play out. But where, wherever you are at right now, wherever you're at with your New Year's resolutions, wherever you're at with rethinking and reconsidering and setting some new priorities for the year ahead, I hope that today we're going to discover together something that will inspire us. If we do something with it, would change everything in the days and weeks and months and year to come and wouldn't just change everything for us, but would change everything for those who are around us, those who encounter us. My name's Becky, by the way. I'm on the staff team here at Andover Community Church. And um, when I, I remember the year ticking through from 2022 into 2023, so the last New Year's Eve, and I remember asking the question that Chris posed for us at the beginning of our series last week, and if you missed that, you can go back and watch it, but you haven't missed anything that means you won't be able to follow along today, no worries. Um, that Chris, Chris reminded us last week that often at this time of year, we can find ourselves thinking and feeling sometimes frustrated by where we are not, who we are not, and what we are not. That it's the time of year where we experience that gap between where we would like to be in our lives and where we actually are. And I remember feeling that very acutely as the year ticked from 2022 into 2023. And to be honest, for me, it wasn't a particularly motivating realization. It didn't make me want to set out and make New Year's resolutions. It was actually a really demoralizing realization to reflect on my life and think, I'm not sure I'm where I want to be. And the, the question that was in the back of my mind, and maybe it's a question that you've asked or you ask at this time of year in particular was, well, do I have something to show for the last year? What have I got to show for the fact that 365 days have passed? We all want to know that as time move forward, moves forwards, we're moving forwards as well, right? That as time advances, we're advancing, that we're progressing, that we have something to show for the fact that our time on earth is increasing. Maybe that's a question that you're asking yourself at the moment. Maybe it's a question you have asked. Maybe it's a question you asked several years ago and you vowed that it would be different the next year and then you had to ask it again the next year and you kept asking yourself, well, what have I got to show now? And you resolved, I will have something to show by the end of the next year or the next year or the next year. And you keep coming back to this same question. For some of us, this is a question that really motivates us. And it motivates us to set out to maybe achieve more in the year to come or to gain more, to have something to show for it. Maybe to experience more so that we can look back and point to a memory or a holiday or some great feeling or experience or moment that we have to show for it. Maybe it's a question that prompts us to invest more in somebody or something or gain skills or 
even just to invest in our own contentment, our own happiness, our own sense of well-being. But as, as time ticks on, all of us, time will eventually beg the question of all of us, and maybe it's doing that for you right now, not just what have I got to show for the last year, but what have I got to show for my life? Do I have something to show for my life? And I think that's a question we're kind of encouraged to ask and we feel we should ask, but I'm going to be really honest with you. That's a question that for me is really pretty demoralizing rather than motivating. I've actually got a few bones to pick with this question. Now, I wonder if you agree with me. First off, my problems with this question are, first, we don't have a clear idea of what something is. So when I say, do I have something to show for my life? We're not sure what the something is that we would like to be able to show for our lives. So maybe it's career, or maybe it's achievement, or maybe it's accolades, or maybe it's reputation, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's friendships, or maybe it's who I am. We're not altogether clear. We don't have clarity on what the something is we would like to be able to show. And the second problem is we're almost always in a deficit. Very few people ask that question, do I have something to show for my life? And say, yep, I've got enough to show for my life. I'm happy. I'm ready to check out now. Most of us, when we ask that question, feel that we're in a deficit. We feel like there's something we lack. We feel like there's something we're not doing, that we don't have enough to show for our lives. The other problem is most of it can be lost. Most of the things that we have to show for our lives are things that may not last our whole lives and almost certainly won't outlast us. And finally, show who? Who am I trying to show? Is it myself? Am I just trying to build up my own sense of pride or self-worth? Is it somebody else I'm trying to prove something to? Is it family, friends? Is it the world? Am I just trying to show the world out there that I did something? I made my mark. I made the use of my time. Is it my peer group? Who am I trying to show that I have something, that I did something with my life? You know, if I'm really honest, I think there's a really heavy burden associated with trying to have something to show for your life. And for me, it causes quite a lot of angst. Maybe it's the case for you as well. Maybe it's something that produces some anxiety in you. I don't have enough to show for my life. I need to change something. But I'm not clear on what that something is. I feel like I'm in a deficit. Maybe you had something to show for your life. You feel like it's gone now, and you're like, what was the point? Was it all wasted time? I'm not sure if that question is particularly encouraging, so there's two alternatives here. Either we could try and work through these problems and figure out what something is and work out how we could not be in a deficit and try and find something that can't be lost and try to clarify who it is that we want to have something to show for our lives for, or we could be open to the possibility that maybe there's something different to aim for. Maybe this isn't a good question to set us in a good direction for the next year of our lives. Maybe there's something better to aim for. Do you know, there's something I find really interesting, and that is that 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, he showed very little to no interest in what people had to show for their lives. 
Now, that's interesting for me because I'm somebody who's decided that I want to pattern my life after Jesus, but it should be interesting for all of us wherever we're at, whatever we think about Jesus, because even today, Jesus is still considered by secular historians to be the most influential man who has ever lived, the most influential person who has ever lived. But he didn't show any interest in what people had to show for their lives. The other reason why we should pay attention to it is because Jesus claimed that if you saw him, you saw God, that he was God. Ooh, oh, I'm back. That he was God as a person. And that if you wanted to know what God prioritized and what God was interested in, you should look to him. And yet Jesus showed no interest in what people had to show for their lives people who had great educations, people who had wealth, people who had fine, strong families. He wasn't interested in that. He didn't, note, he didn't note it. He didn't pat anyone on the back for it. He didn't really seem to pay attention to it at all. In fact, Jesus drew to him people who had very little to show for their lives. Very, very little, which is so interesting. And as an alternative, Jesus had a fascinating invitation for people as to what they could aim towards rather than having something to show for their lives. And that's the invitation we're going to look at today. And to do that, we're going to go to a guy called Luke. Now, Luke was a first century physician, and he spent many, many years uh, compiling a really meticulous account of Jesus's life and ministry and the things that he said and did. And uh, Luke was so careful about this. He interviewed eyewitnesses. He checked and cross-checked all his facts. And he spent many years doing that. And then around the year 70 to 75 AD, he put pen to paper and he wrote this account of Jesus's life. So just about 40 years after the events itself, which in ancient history is an extraordinarily small gap between the events happening and them being recorded. So we can know that it's a really trustworthy historical document. And G, um, Luke wrote down this account because he wanted people to make up their mind about who Jesus is. That was his motivation in writing. And that can be our motivation in listening today as well, if we're not sure what we think about Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at this um, incident that occurs that Luke records to us. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and onwards. And in this instance, Jesus is being followed by a large crowd. And this was a really common occurrence in Jesus's life because um, he had done all sorts of things which had drawn a lot of interest. Um, he'd been performing healings. He had been uh, doing miraculous things. He'd been preaching things that nobody else had really heard before. And it was drawing an incredible crowd. He had a close group of people who were really trying to follow after his way and spent a lot of time with him. And then he had lots and lots of crowds who were really just there, often for the show. And, and Luke makes it quite clear that there's different motivations in the crowd as to why people were following him. And certainly there were people who were just there looking for some kind of benefit to themselves, that Jesus obviously had a lot to show for his life. He was very smart. He had loads of crowds following him. At this point, he was very popular, very popular. And so people wanted a piece of the action. They wanted to see if by following this guy, could I gain something to show for my life? So Luke picks up the story like this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, turning to direct these crowds, 
directly. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, just before we get into what on earth is going on here, because that sounds really bizarre and very unexpected, that that word disciple, Jesus is saying, if you want to move from being just a crowd person, from being somebody who's just kind of following from a distance to actually taking on my way, it means like becoming a student, becoming like me, doing things the way that I do them. If you want to do that, he says, you need to hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Now, in this room, we might have different levels of uh, exposure and experience to the words of Jesus, but I think all of us, whatever we've heard about Jesus, would agree that doesn't sound like a very Jesus-like thing to say, right? So whenever we come across something like that, rather than dismissing it or ignoring it or just going, okay, right, yep, okay, hate everybody now, we should lean in. We should ask some further questions of it. It's an invitation to explore a little bit further because some of the things in the Gospels, in the accounts of Jesus' life are complex and they deserve a second thought. So let's explore actually what Jesus is actually saying here. So hate, we, we can rule out that he means hate emotionally as in have hatred towards somebody and we can rule out that he means hate relationally as in separate yourself from them, deny the relationship because Jesus is really explicit about these things elsewhere in the Gospels, that Jesus explicitly says, anybody who follows me takes on the way of love, not just love for people we naturally love, but love even for your enemies. So Jesus was completely explicit that love was an essential command for anybody who wanted to follow in his way. And also Jesus had family And he had mothers and siblings, and we see those being recorded in the accounts of Jesus' life. And Jesus hadn't distanced himself from them relationally. He hadn't severed a connection with them. Sometimes they seemed not very happy with what he was doing, and that's pretty clear in the Gospels. But he had a relationship with them. So we know that Jesus doesn't mean harbor hatred towards, and we know he doesn't mean just ignore the relationship, disconnect from them completely. So what does he mean? Well, when we look at what's going on around this passage and what Jesus seems to be getting at, it seems most likely that he's talking about who your allegiance is to, whether your allegiance is to me or to your family. Now, at the time for Jesus's contemporaries, and as it is in many cultures around the world still to this day, you were honor-bound to your family. You were honor-bound to have something to show for your life in order to bring honor to your family. So having an honorable profession was really important to bring honor to your family. Keeping yourself religiously pure was really important to bring honor to your family. Having good status in the community, a good reputation was essential for bringing honor to your family. You needed to have something to show for your life if you were going to bring honor to your household. And Jesus seems to be saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to live my way, you might have to lay that down. You're going to need to put aside a motivation to have something to show for your life in order to bring honor to your family, in order to benefit them, in order to gain something for them. Because Jesus' way often required doing things 
that in the culture would have brought dishonor, spending time with people who weren't religiously pure, doing things that violated proper order and a dignified way of carrying out your life. Often, um, Jesus appears to have been slightly disappointing to his own family because he was acting in such a way which was compromising his reputation in the community. So Jesus says, if you want to come and be like me, you're going to have to put aside your primary motivation being living to have something to show for the sake of your family. Now, what I do find really interesting about this for us is how many of us feel the pressure to have something to show for our lives because of something, because of our families? How many of us feel the pressure of having something to show for our lives because of the expectations of a parent or our parents? Or how many of us feel the pressure to have something to show for our lives because we want to earn the pride of our children or provide for our children? How many of us feel the pressure to have something to show for our lives to earn the approval of somebody in our family, of a spouse or a sibling or a parent or a child? And Jesus says, if you want to come and follow me and do things my way, that's something you're going to need to let go of. And he says, in fact, even your own life, you must hate even your own life. What does he mean by that? Not resent yourself, but say no to ego and self-interest and having something to show yourself that you can look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, go you, you achieved something today. He's saying, I want you to leave that behind as well because I've got something else for you to focus on. And at this point, the crowd is feeling pretty tense, I think, as perhaps we are. This is, this is uncomfortable, and it should make us uncomfortable. And if it's making you uncomfortable, that's okay, and that's good, because hopefully that's going to bring us to learning something new and taking on a new mindset around this. So Jesus has made the crowd pretty uneasy because he's set up an either-or. People would like to hear, yeah, you can bring honor to your family, and you can bring honor to yourself, and also you can follow me. And Jesus is saying, Sometimes it's going to be either or, and you need to pick me. When the two come into conflict, I'm asking you to choose my way. And that's uncomfortable to hear. But what Jesus says next would have made the crowd even more uncomfortable. In fact, guaranteed some people would have turned and walked away the minute Jesus said this, because it was so offensive to the ears of those who were listening to him that day. Jesus says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. Now, to Jesus' contemporaries, the cross was a very, very familiar, not just concept, but sight, something they had actually seen and experienced and witnessed. And it was the most brutal form of execution at the time. It was the way that um, Rome often dealt with traitors and threats to the Roman order and the Roman way of things. And it was also incredibly shameful If you were executed, you were often considered to be cursed by God, cut off from your community. But the cross was also something that would become incredibly familiar to followers of Jesus, to people who actually went along with Jesus, because Jesus eventually would lug his own cross up a hill and be executed on it. So Jesus says to to them, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, can't be my disciple, can't be like me, can't live 
my way. And then he walks up a hill, lugging a cross, and is crucified. So what does he mean? Does he mean you need to accept the fact that you're going to be executed in order to follow me? Well, in order to unpack what Jesus is saying, we need to understand what Jesus's cross was. Jesus's cross, Jesus's execution wasn't exactly the same. It didn't play out the same way that other executions at the time did. And Luke, who writes this account, makes this really clear when he records Jesus's execution towards the end of his story about Jesus. And there's a few things that are kind of unique signifiers about Jesus's cross that we should understand before we make sense of what Jesus says when he says, you're going to have a cross of your own. And the first was that Jesus was innocent. Uniquely, he was a falsely accused, innocent man. He was executed as an innocent person, falsely accused by others. Secondly, that Jesus was rejected by those who'd loved him, that whilst other people who were executed may have had family and friends who came and wept and mourned for him, most of the people who surrounded Jesus's cross were abusing him and mocking him. And the people who had followed him and loved him stood at a distance, probably ashamed, probably embarrassed. Many of them had abandoned him and some had completely rejected him. And thirdly, that Jesus treated his cross unlike anybody else who was crucified in the first century as a mission to carry out, not a tragedy to avoid. That for anybody else, if you knew you were going to face execution, you would do everything in your power to avoid it. You might compromise almost anything in order to escape such a death. But for Jesus, he treated it as a mission to carry out, not a tragedy to avoid. And Luke records all these things in order to show us that Jesus at the cross risked and risks everything he had to show for his life. His reputation was gone. He risked his family and his friends turning away from him, being humiliated and losing honor because of him. Risked himself, his own health, his own body, the breath in his lungs. He risked everything he had to show for his life in order, for a purpose, to offer up his life for others. That's the story of the cross, according to Luke that Jesus risked everything he had to show for his life in order to offer his life up for others. So when Jesus says, if you want to be like me, you're going to have to carry your cross. It's an invitation to risk what you have to show for your life in order to offer your life for others, to risk what you have to show for your life in order that you might offer your life to others. Jesus said, if you want to live my way, this is something that you will need to be prepared to do. And sometimes people won't like it. Often people won't like it. They may reject you. They may insult you. They may turn their backs on you. Often you won't like it. But if you want to follow me, if you want to live my way, this is what what it takes. This is the choice to make. And so the question that Jesus invites his disciples, people who actually opt in to living his way and want to be like him, then and now, is not the question of, do I have something to show for my life? Jesus showed no interest in that. The question is, what do I have to offer with my life? And here's why I love this question. First of all, anybody could ask it in any 
circumstance. You don't have to have something already. When you ask, do I have something to show for my life? You have to have something to point to. Something you've earned, something you've achieved, something you've done. But this question, we haven't got to have anything. In fact, sometimes our only answer to this question might be, well, all I've got is myself. In which case, that's all I can offer. And this is a question that you can ask whether you believe in Jesus and you're convinced about who he is or whether you're just not sure. Isn't this a better question, no matter what? Not do I have something to show for my life, but what do I have to offer with my life? It doesn't put us at a deficit. It just starts with where we are, and we can offer what we have. It doesn't, we don't need to worry about losing things, because kind of the point of it is to lose, rather than to gain. And in terms of who we're doing it for, we have clarity for others, for the sake of others, just as Jesus risked what he had to show for himself for the sake of others. And I really am convinced if we were to begin asking this question from today as we went about our week, not what will I have to show for today, but what can I offer today for others? Not this week, what do I have to show for it, but what can I offer? Suddenly, I think we will get clarity. We'll see opportunities to offer something to others and not just seek to have something to show for it. And the direction of our lives will turn towards something that will change us and will change things for other people around us as well. And it will make us like Jesus. It will put us in line with Jesus's way, because this is what he did. And don't the people who really inspire us, don't the people who impact us Don't you think they start their morning not with this question, do I have something to show for my life? But what do I have to offer with my life today? Just to make this more tangible, because it is so challenging what Jesus talks about, and some of us might write this off as an ideal. I just want to introduce you to a guy who's an absolute hero of mine and is much more qualified to speak on this than I am. Um, And his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in 1906, and those of you who know your history will recognize that um, he was a German, and he lived through an incredible, tumultuous time in German history, of course, and of course lived to see the rise of the Nazi regime. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an incredible thinker, and an incredible writer, and an incredible communicator, very intelligent, very academic, and he was also a Jesus follower. And he was somebody who took what it means to follow Jesus really seriously. And so when he saw how the Nazi party was treating Jewish people, he decided he could not go along with that. And even when the church in Germany took a very passive and sometimes even pro-stance to what Hitler was doing and what the Nazis were doing to Jewish people, he stood against it. He risked everything he had to show for his life. He lost his status in German public life, lost his status in the church, was rejected by people from his own community because he knew this was not the way for Jesus followers to conduct themselves in the world, that this was not the way that Jesus had invited him into. Eventually, because he would not stop protesting, he was arrested 
and he was imprisoned for two years under the Nazi regime, and eventually he was moved to a concentration camp, and very tragically, he was hung and executed there, probably alone, nobody standing by mourning for him. What did he have to show for his life? He'd had a successful career before, but when he died, he had no money, he had no clothes, he had no family, never married, no friends, no reputation, he had a shortened lifespan, he didn't get to achieve all the things he could have achieved. What did he have to show for his life? Well, that, that wasn't the question that he asked himself. Because he was a follower of Jesus, he didn't ask, what will I have to show for my life? He asked, what can I offer with my life? And then he made good on it. Before he died, he wrote a book, which after his death has earned him a lot of acclaim, but he never lived to know that. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he's uniquely qualified, I think, to write a book called that. And in that book, he addresses the words of Jesus that we've talked about today. And he says this, the command of Jesus, that is the command of Jesus to carry your own cross and to hate even your own life is hard, unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. In other words, if you continue to try to be motivated by having something to show for your life, by earning and gaining and achieving something to show for your life, and at the same time, you try to follow Jesus, you will find yourself torn in two directions. You may find yourself torn apart by it. It is unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. But, he said, but for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. For those who leave behind having something to show for their lives and instead ask, what can I offer with my life? The yoke is easy and the burden is light. Now, what did he mean by that? Because he did not have an easy life. Well, here's what I think. I find myself so weighed down by the idea of having to have something to show for my life. Honestly, that produces a lot of angst in me. Doesn't make me feel like, it makes me feel like I'm not good enough. Makes me feel like I haven't done enough. And for many of us, it makes us feel the same. For many of us, it makes us feel the same. But here's what Bonhoeffer knew and here's what Jesus made absolutely clear. He didn't need people to have something to show for their lives. It's not what he was looking for. Maybe you are here today for the first time, you're watching online for the first time, and you are worn out by trying to have something to show for your life. You're constantly trying, and you just don't feel like you're hitting the mark. And what's amazing is that the invitation of Jesus is not have something to show for your life. He's just not interested in that. It's not what he's looking for. All he says is, offer yourself for others, as I have offered myself for you, for you and for me. That's why I risked everything I had. That's why Jesus risked everything he had, everything he had to show for himself 
in order to offer himself for you. And he's not interested in us having, have, having to have something to show for our lives. We can lay that down and we can take up the lighter burden of following him and of just asking the question, not do I have something to show for my life, but do I have something to offer with my life? What can I offer with my life? And Jesus promises for anybody who asks that question, he'll be with us. He'll be with us because he offered himself for us because he wants to be with us. Just see what happens as you begin to ask this question instead. See how it lifts the burden from you, the angst and the anxiety to have something to show for it. And instead, just offer it. Offer yourself if it's all you've got. See what happens. I'm going to pray for us and then the band are going to lead us in some more songs. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't require us to have something to show for our lives. Thank you that you're not asking us to earn and achieve and exceed our way into making life worthwhile. But that you modeled for us what it looks like to not to have something to show for our lives, but to offer our lives for the sake of others. Thank you that you did that for us on our behalf and that you extended an invitation to us to do the same, to do likewise, and that you promise that as we do, you'll be with us. I just pray for anybody here who feels weighed down and burdened down by needing to have something to show for their lives. I just pray that you'd give them the courage and the clarity to begin to ask this question, what can I offer with my life instead? And that they would know as they do that you love them and that you're with them, that they haven't got to prove anything to you or show anything to you. Father, give us the courage to do something with what we've heard today. Give us the courage to be people who live for others who offer others ourselves and whatever we have. In Jesus' name, amen.